I'm going to do something a little different this morning and ask for your uh, grace and patience with me as I do so. I um, have a very special friend um, who is in the process of seeking truth, and this friend received her very first Bible this morning, and that Bible is in the NIV. And so I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning, even though I'm used to reading out of the New American Standard. It's a Bible that I've had for over 30 years, and I know where everything is just based on where it is on the page. I, you know, it's very comfortable for me. So this morning I'm a little bit lost thinking, man, I hope I know where everything is now that I don't have my Bible with me. But, uh, so I'm excited, though. This is a great uh, passage of Scripture that we'll look at together. We're, we're going to consider what it means to have a divine wardrobe. Paul is going to talk about things we are to lay aside and things we are to put on. He's going to explain what it means to have a heavenly conduct, where our conduct is like clothing. It's what people see on the outside. And what we wear says something about who we are. Not only that, it says something about who we're with. I had the opportunity to see some pictures over the last few weeks of people going to prom. I'll be honest, I didn't recognize some of you all dressed up, okay? Where's uh, Bennett Jacobs? Is he here? Bennett Jacobs in a tuxedo, dude. That was awesome. Good job. And Thomas Haverdick in a brand new suit, looking good. But here's my question. Now, I realize it's prom and everything, but guys, why didn't you just wear shorts and a t-shirt? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, do what? Uh-huh. See? Do you see what he said? This is the right answer. He said, our dates told us we couldn't, right? <laughs> but that's exactly my point. What we wear says something about who we're with, and we want to honor them. It's true in our life, and it's true in our walk with Christ. If our conduct is like clothing, we want to wear things that honor Christ. We should lay aside that ratty old t-shirt of bad habits and put on a new wardrobe of a new life in Christ. And that's what our passage is going to talk about this morning. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a great passage to look at as we are able to hear uh, the words that you inspire instruct us on how we should live how we should walk in truth and and what we should wear what our conduct should say about who we are and whose we are so as we walk through this together would you please use these words to shape our lives to reflect the image of who you are and what you've made possible we pray this in your name amen so if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, if you're not already there, and we'll pick up where we left off last. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So before Paul gets into describing what we are to put on, he wants to be clear what it is that we are to lay aside. 
And he's talking about it in terms of how the Gentiles walk, but let me just clarify that what he's speaking to here is who we were apart from Christ. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking to them about their pre-conversion life. But it's important for us, as we read this, to understand that the terms that he's going to use to describe who they were apart from Christ would apply to us as well in that same condition. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, this is what it looked like. So Paul gives us several adjectives to describe, to give a picture. He said that we were futile in our mind. Being futile is this idea of having an empty mind. It's kind of a a life without purpose. Some of you hear that and you think, well, listen, I I know some people who aren't Christians who seem to live with purpose, right? They want to have a good family. They want to have a good education, a successful career. Those seem like pretty purposeful things. And I would say I agree they do, but to what end? We live, we succeed, we make money, and then we die. And if that's all there is, then yes, granted, get all you can. If that's all there is, then make the most of every moment. In fact, the Bible even concedes that fact. If you want to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is going to speak to this point in this passage In the very beginning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, he says at first, I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus for merely, if I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Now, he's probably not speaking specifically about wild beasts. One of the things that uh, did happen during that time was uh, the gladiators or uh, the, the big arenas where they would basically put people out to fight wild animals for uh, entertainment. And he's saying, well, if I were to do that, then what gain would it be if this life is all there was? Why would I consider my life precious at all? He goes on to say, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's saying, look, if this life is all there is, then yes, get all you can. But if eternal life does exist, if there's more to what God intended beyond this world in which we live, then why would we find ourselves, our purpose, in things that don't last? When you have a futile mind, you really don't care. You you don't give it a, a second thought because their understanding is darkened. They can't think past the, the here and now, living in the moment. When your reasoning is per- impaired, you become short-sighted. You can't see past yourself. When that happens, when you go your own way, you walk away from God. And we need to understand clearly that that is a deliberate, intentional decision. You see, our ignorance was a result of our refusal. It wasn't as if we were just born ignorant and didn't know better. No, our ignorance as a result of our refusal. Turn to Romans chapter 1, and let me show you how Paul explains that in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, and I'll read in verse 18. 
It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that man is without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and foolish and their hearts were darkened. You notice Paul uses very similar terminology here. They, they knew they were, there was a God. They just created, uh, their, uh, they allowed their imagination to describe what that would have looked like. They made gods out of trees and, and birds and, and all kinds of figments of their imagination. They knew it existed. They just allowed their futile minds to determine what that was all about. You see, in our heart, where God speaks truth, we said no. We said no because we felt like we were doing just fine on our own. And the more we resisted, the more callous our heart became. How many of you have calluses on your hands? Why are they there? Why do you have calluses on your hands? Repeated use, hard work, resistance, right? They build up calluses. Graham and I dug a trench yesterday, or part of one. We still got work to do. It was hard work. Using a shovel, using a grubbing hoe. That's the kind of thing that builds up calluses. Hard work, resistance. In our passage in Ephesians, Paul's making the point that when we resist God, when we work against Him, we build calluses on our heart. We become insensitive. You feel those calluses when you have layers of skin like that? It's not the same as the skin on the inside of your arm where you don't have calluses. Okay, That's the point. There's an insensitivity to God's truth. Apart from Christ, we lose our sensitivity to God's life-giving truth. We give ourselves over to the corruption of lust and deceit, as he'll describe in 22 when we get there. But in verse 19, he describes it as a, a greedy desire for sensuality and impurity, a, a continual lust for more. It's a selfish pursuit of what's best for me. And yes, it can be immoral and impure, where we ap apply this impaired reasoning and determine for ourselves that, hey, love is love. Truth is relative. Everybody should be able to do what's right in their own eyes. That's impaired reasoning. That's darkened understanding. That's a futile mind. But it could also be acceptable and good. Where we might use religion or, or, or service to gain acceptance. So that our good deeds make us feel better about ourselves. We remain in good standing by all of our good works. But in either case, the motivation is the same. It's what's best for me. I become a slave to my own selfish desires. We learned this at the men's retreat last weekend. It's a broken cistern. A futile attempt to find meaning and purpose in a life apart from Christ. Paul is trying to remind them of the life that they had before they trusted in him as their Savior. 
And he's saying, put those things aside. So after describing this old wardrobe, these things that we are to put aside because they were a part of that old life apart from Christ, he now turns to our new life in Christ and describes how that life should look different than our old self. He'll explain how God took those old habits and didn't just store them away, he threw them away. And this is important because sometimes we treat them like hand-me-downs, right? Where we put them in a container and put them up in our attic in case we want to hand them down to somebody or maybe decide to wear them again someday. That's not what happens here. See, that kind of character and conduct that he's just described is out of style with a new life in Christ. He says, put it away. And he goes on to explain what that looks like. Look at verse 20. He says in verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Putting on new clothes begins with knowing Christ. You've heard from him. You've been even taught by him. You might think, hear that and think, well, when was I taught by Jesus? Every time you read this book, these words are the breathed by God himself, inspired by the Spirit of God to speak truth into our lives. And when you read these words, you're hearing from Jesus. And so Paul points to that and it says the truth of the Bible is life transforming. And when you believe that truth, Everything changes. The old is gone. The new has come. You learn that, hey, truth is not relative. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. He says truth is found in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what truth is, then look to the life of Christ, how he lived, what he said. And that truth is at work in all of our lives, and so we're all learning and growing together. Look at how he continues in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in, in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Faith opened your eyes to see the empty pursuits of the old self. Instead of being corrupted and callous, you become renewed. Your heart becomes soft and sensitive. You begin to recognize the impaired logic of the old self. You see the futility of, of, of being satisfied with all these fleshly desires. And you realize those things weren't adding to your life. In fact, you were getting robbed. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and ultimately to lead you down a path of destruction. And Jesus says, God wants to lead you in righteousness and holiness and truth. And Paul says in verse 24, the new self was created, essentially, in the likeness of God. The new self is created in the likeness of God. That's important because the old self was created in the likeness of Adam. Adam was our father, and like Adam, we were born into sin. We were defined by that sin in our life. We were born in the likeness of Adam. That sin is what darkened our understanding, corrupted our minds, hardened our hearts. 
if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, where Paul will explain this, of being born in sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's the one man? Adam. Just as as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Now look at verse 18. Excuse me, 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, who's the disobedience? Adam. Just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, who's that? Jesus. The many were made righteous. The point he's trying to make is, look, when you were born, you were born in sin. You were born of Adam. But when you put your faith in Christ, you were born in a new and different way. And the old things have gone and the new things have come. You've been born into righteousness and truth. Not that you earned on your own, but was credited to you by Jesus through faith. His truth is what transforms your life. You've been created new in the likeness of God. So he doesn't just patch up our old clothes and, and cover up those holes. He removes that old self and gives you a brand new divinely ordained wardrobe, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul is urging us to live in accordance with this new identity that all of Christ has made possible. Lay aside the old self. Put on the new self. And then he goes on to get very practical with us and talk about what that looks like. What what do some of these articles of clothing look like when we put them on? So look at verse 25. It says in verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. So put off falsehood, put on truth to his neighbor. For we are members of one body. If in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Put aside falsehood, put on truth. He's speaking of how we relate to one another. He's being very practical about what this looks like as members of the body of Christ, the family of God. These are the things I believe that Paul is still thinking about, how we protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do we live in a way that promotes the growth of the body, the the building of itself in love? And he's saying this is what that conduct looks like. He says it will not happen if you are not honest. You can't have a relationship with something that isn't real. So put aside pretending and live a life that is open and vulnerable. Tanner Bruffy at the men's retreat this past Sunday, as we were wrapping up, we said, tell us some things that you guys appreciate about this weekend. And his response was, one of the things I really appreciate about the men's retreat is how open and vulnerable men are when they come to this place. See, vulnerability is what allows for intimacy. And if you're not going to be transparent and vulnerable, you cannot have deep relationships. You will remain on the surface. You will never go deep. 
Vulnerability and transparency is required for intimacy. And Paul said we were created for intimacy, to live deeply in our relationships with one another. So be honest, be transparent, be vulnerable. But I think he probably recognizes that in that vulnerability, there's going to be hurts. There's going to be anger. There's going to be things that come up that happen to our relationships. That's why he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You're going to be angry. It's part of life. It's part of relationship. But he says, don't let it last long. If you're unwilling to be vulnerable, it will only make it worse. You see, a lot of times those things that happen in our relationships are a result of miscommunication, misperceptions. And if we just harbor that and choose not to work through our differences, that anger turns to bitterness. And that's where the devil gets his foothold. Bitterness. Because then he has the ability to start to convince you of things about the other person that are not true. He'll distort it so that you believe things about them that are not true. How they never are kind. How they're always fill in the blank. Not true. In the end, how you view people determines how you treat them. And if the enemy wants to create division, then he'll create lies to make you believe things that are not true. That's where he gets his foothold. So Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity to destroy the relationships that Jesus Christ reconciled. Deal with your differences. Extend forgiveness. Give grace. Be honest. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't harbor it. Don't let it turn into bitterness. You see, if you really want to love someone, you've got to learn to forgive. That's how you grow deep in relationships, is forgiveness and grace. Now look at verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now this one's a little more challenging because I think it has a cultural context. See, in the time of Christ, they didn't have a welfare system. They didn't have unemployment. So if you were without work for whatever reason you might go to some means that were less than uh, optimal to get something. It could be at night, stealing something from somebody. It could be in broad daylight where you just refuse to work and ask for a handout instead. And Paul looks at that situation. He says, no, it's better to labor than depend on others. Performing work with your own hands. Learn to work. And put your hands to work. Otherwise, this is what gives the devil yet another opportunity. You've heard the saying before, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I think that's Paul's point here. When you have the ability, then work with your hands. It's a good thing. But I also want you to notice the purpose of why you would work so hard. Look at the end of verse 28 again. That he may have something to share with those in need. It didn't say work hard so that you can provide for yourself and get all the things that you might want to have. That's not what it said. It says work hard in order that you may share with others. I think Paul recognizes that within any family, there are legitimate needs. And there are times where people can't provide for themselves. And he says, if you can work, then work so you can help those who can't. That's why it's a good thing. 
there's a passage in Acts chapter 2 that describes what this looked like in the early church. If you want to look at that with me, it's Acts chapter 2, verse 45, 44. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. This is the very beginning of the church that has been birthed through Pentecost. These churches are beginning to form as believers are coming together. Listen how it describes them in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they have to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple, in the courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Even in its infancy, the early church understood the importance of taking care of one another. And there are going to be times when people have needs, and if you can work, you should work in a way that you should have something to share, something to give to those who can't. We have a responsibility to care for one another. Not just in our deeds, but also in our words. Look at how he continues in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with any form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That word unwholesome in English has an interesting uh, meaning in the original language. It, it meant rotten meat or, or rancid fish. Okay, So when you hear the word, it should almost make your stomach turn a little bit. All right? Something that's not good. It's not worth anything. When you get across something like that, you just need to get rid of it. Okay, It can't be used for anything. And Paul takes that image and he says, don't let rancid words leave your mouth. If it doesn't build someone up, do not say it. This is especially important for those of us who may have the gift of criticism. See what I'm saying? These are the people who can find something negative in everything. That rose is beautiful, but it does have thorns. I love the rain, but it does make everything wet. And that's the superficial kind, because when you meet these people, they're the ones that you see coming down the hall and you turn and walk the other way. Because chances are they're going to find something wrong with something you say, something you did. And when we have that kind of attitude towards one another, we cannot build deep and intimate relationships. It destroys them. And so Paul is saying, look, if we want to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and be the people that God created us to be, when that wall came down and made us one, then we have to guard our tongue, bridle it. And if something doesn't build someone up, then do not say it. He instructs us to speak words that bring life. The church should be characterized by people who say just the right word at just the right time. People who see things from God's perspective. 
That's why it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't fixate on our faults. He is very intentional about wanting us to discover all the goodness and, and beauty that he created us to be. He wants us to be everything that he created us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. And he wants us to become the people who speak those words to each other. Any relationship that is built on love always seeks the highest good of the other. That's what love is. And if we follow the Holy Spirit, that's where he will lead us. That's where we will get the right words in the right moment from him. The point is that, that God wants us as his people to speak the words that he feels to one another. God wants me to know how he feels about me through what you tell me. And the same for you. So Paul says, lay down your weapons of unkind words. Don't let them leave your mouth. Verse 31 again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Those are strong words. And when I see those words, I see them well down the spectrum of anger. Okay, These are things that have been harbored, that have settled in, and they've become rotten because they've just been sitting there undealt with. And he says, look, if we want to protect our relationships, we work through things. We give grace. We extend forgiveness. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. That's the point. Treat others as Christ has treated us. Love others as Christ has loved us. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Give grace to others as that grace has been lavished on us. So as I've thought about this uh, this week, here's how I would like to challenge us all, myself included. If our conduct is like clothing, if that's what people see, then maybe we should look at our life and think about what it says about our identity. In other words, what does our conduct say about who we are, and even more importantly, whose we are? Do our attitudes and behaviors bring honor to Christ? You see, I believe as a child of God, we need to make a fashion statement in this world in which we live. So you might want to go through your closet. And see what you're wearing these days. And determine if it's fitting for who you are and whose you are. Now, as I say that, I want to be careful because I don't know that we can trust ourselves to identify those things. Let me see a show of hands for all the women who would trust their husbands going into their own closet and cleaning out things that they shouldn't be wearing anymore. Not very many, okay? It's the rare exception. Let's just say that. And that's because us men, we get comfortable in that T-shirt that we've had since college that has a few holes in it, but it's the softest T-shirt you've ever put on. It probably rides up to here. You would never want to be seen in public with it, right? Well, well the point here is we need to look in the mirror, and that mirror is the Holy Spirit. Ask God to reveal things in your life that don't honor him. Ask God to reveal conduct and behaviors in your life that prevent intimacy 
and deep relationships that he's created us for, that he's made possible. Allow the Holy Spirit to walk you through your closet. If you see anger and bitterness, replace it with gentleness, truth, and forgiveness. If you see laziness, then put on some hard work. Allow God to examine your heart and don't give him grief when he points to things that need to change. Trust him. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, our mouth speaks out of that which fills our heart, right? I think from our passage, we can take that same thought and modify it a little bit and say that our behavior reveals that which fills our mind. Our conduct is a reflection of what we're thinking about, what we allow to enter our mind. What we put in is ultimately what we give out. We can only reflect the likeness of Christ when we're spending time with him, when we're putting his word in our heart and in our mind, when we're loving one another and caring as he's called us to. You will always give to others out of the overflow of what he's given you. Those right words are his words. Those right attitudes are ultimately the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. So go make a fashion statement. Lay aside the ratty old t-shirt of bad habits and put on a new wardrobe that represents your new life in Christ. That defines who you are in Him and whose you are because of Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making your word so practical. <laughs> you give us such great visuals. Just like we talked about in communion, we see it again in our passage in Ephesians. This idea of putting aside and, and putting on. This clothing, this conduct. It's like clothing. It's what people see. We want what we wear. We want our behaviors and our attitudes to reflect who we are because of what you've done in our life. A new creation. Old things gone. New things have come. And not just because of what it creates in our life and the, the intimacy and depth of relationship that that makes possible. But more importantly, because of you. We want who we are, how we live, to honor you. We don't want to wear a ratty old t-shirt to the prom. That wouldn't honor you. So help us put on this divine wardrobe that you've gifted us with, that you've given us through the work of your spirit. And as you reveal things in our lives, help us to surrender ourselves, to not resist you and build calluses against you, but to accept that truth, to desire change, that you transform us through the renewing of our minds, through the truth of your word. You sanctify us through our relationships with one another. That's all part of how you've designed it. So may we be faithful to live out of what you've made possible. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.